Just four years ago, um, uh, a groundbreaking book was written, and it was called Growing Younger. And, and it's this book that looks at the faith journey of, of young people between the ages of 15 and 29. And in it, it shares a few, I would say, sobering statistics about a glaring problem in the church. And I don't just mean in the chapel church, I mean in the big church as a whole. And so I want to share some of these statistics with you this morning. I hope, I hope you're ready for this, okay? First one's this. According to a U.S. 2001 Census Bureau, adults ages 18 to 29 comprise 22% of the adult population, yet the same age group represents less than 10% of church attendees nationwide. And this data is from 20 years ago. And so we can only assume that in the past 20 years that this percentage has dropped even further than what it, it was then. That, that, that's staggering. And then they go on to say this, that multiple studies highlight that 40 to 50% of youth group seniors, like young people in your church, drift from God and the faith community after they graduate high school. That means that half of our kids that we have at the chapel, they walk out of this building, they go to college, they go to jobs, and half of them don't return. That's, that's the problem. But then it goes on to say some, perhaps more than half of those who drift away from the church end up rejoining the faith community, generally when they get married and have children, but that leaves close to 50% still adrift. I tell you, we see this happen all the time at the chapel. Students that they come up through the church, they graduate, they head off to college, and then we don't see them for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden, they're back. And they're married, and they have kids, and they're plugging back in again. We, we, we see this happen, but as stats show us that only half of them come back. That leaves 50% that don't. This is a problem. Because I don't know what goes on in your mind when you hear these statistics, but I can tell you exactly what goes on in my mind when I hear them. I have a daughter who's 18 and a senior in high school, and she's leaving for college next year looking at colleges right now and, and soon she's going to be out of the house she's going to be on her own she's going to be at college making decisions for herself in the real world in the big world and statistics like this run shivers down my spine because whether you have kids or not or, or maybe you're at the age when when your kids are grown or you no longer are in that predicament, it doesn't matter. All these things should still cause us all to stop and ask some hard questions. Questions like, why? Why does this stuff happen? And maybe more important than why does it happen, what can we do about it? What is, what is our personal role to play in these kids' lives? What is our church's role in these kids' lives? The answers to these questions, they're critical not just to our kids, but to our families, our communities, and ultimately the life of the church. These are important questions that we find out answers to. So that is why in these next three years, as we continue to navigate through our 2023 vision, we are taking some steps to grow deeper 
in some of our roots. And so we looked at how we're growing deeper at building a culture of family. We've looked at how we're growing deeper at becoming more like Jesus. And this morning, it is critical that we take a look at how we are committed as a church to growing deeper at equipping the next generation for Jesus Christ. Because this isn't just a want. This is a need, a need to equip kids, students, parents, and ultimately our entire congregation to help future generations of kids follow Jesus Christ. This is critical. So the question is, how? How do we do this? Well, let me start by sharing just a short story with you. It comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. And it's about a man named Elijah. Elijah's a prophet, which just simply means that he speaks to God's people on behalf of God. And in this story, we see Elijah confronting a, a king, a king named Ahab. And he was the king of Israel at the time and, and had been turning his back on Yahweh, the true God. And, and, and so instead of worshiping the true God, Ahab was worshiping a god named Baal, a false god. And so, to show that, that Ahab, that, that it was Yahweh who was the true God, Elijah challenges him to a bit of what I might call a showdown. And we see in 1 Kings, the terms of the showdown are discussed in detail. And let, let me show you what these terms were. It says this, Elijah told them, Call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So he says, all right, look, we'll build some altars. I'll build an altar. You build an altar. We'll make them out of wood. We'll do what we need to do. And then you call on your God to start the fire, and I'll call on my God to start the fire, and we'll basically we'll see who wins. And they said, sounds good to us. Let's do it. So they build the altars, and it says that the prophets of Baal goes first, and it goes on to say, they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. No reply. They try over and over to summon their God. Nothing happened. But now it's Elijah's turn. And I'm, I'm sure you can guess the end of the story, but let me tell you anyway. Elijah, he creates the, his altar of wood, but then he takes it even a step further, and he doesn't just build an altar of wood. You know what he does? He soaks it with water. In fact, it says he, that he, it was so saturated that there was a trench around the altar that filled with water. And, and I, the only reason I can think that he would do this is to really emphasize and show the power, the faithfulness of Yahweh, the true God. That, that it was through this that he could demonstrate that God listens and responds to his people when they called him for help. And so Elijah prays, and, this, and it goes on, the story goes on to say this. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. God answered, tells us, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, 
the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Incredible story. And you're probably going, what on earth does that incredible story have anything to do with raising the next generation? Let me tell you, it has everything to do with it. Because, because this story, among with many, many other stories filled throughout the pages of this book, that it emphasizes uh, two things happening. One, we see that only God, the true God, is, is capable of making fire, of making true life change in people's hearts. But we also see a second thing happening here, is that we have a role to play. Elijah had a role to play in this story. You see, it is God, only God who can send the fire. And the same is true when, when it comes to seeing life change in the life of the next generation. It's only God that can enact salvation in, the, in our kids' lives. It's only God who can answer their prayers. It's only God who can enable the next generation to forsake the patterns of this world and, and to conform to the image of Christ. It's only God that can send the fire of life change in our kids' lives. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us that God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift. We don't have the power. We don't have the power to send fire. Only God can do what God does. However, part two, Elijah had a role to play in this story. He had to build the altar. He had to do the work. And the same is true for us. We have a critical role in impacting our next generation. Yet God sends the fire, yes, but first we have a job to do, both in our homes and in our church. We must do anything and everything to set the stage for God to do an incredible work in our kids' lives. That means this, that parents, that means grandparents, coaches, small group leaders, mentors, widows, retirees, singles, empty nesters, I don't care what group you belong in, each of us is responsible for bringing a piece of wood to this altar so that God can send his fire down. Paul sums up this thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he says this. He said, after all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. What he's saying is, look, we all have a role to do. And I don't care who does it, but it needs done. There's work that needs done. And after it's done, God can do incredible things through that. This is is such a huge responsibility. And so I wonder, though, how? How do we do this? Uh, Great, it's important and we need to do it, but how how are we going to accomplish this? So there are many biblical strategies that we could use to accomplish this, but one that we've identified that is is, is resonating and embracing us as a church is this. It's simply called being orange. Now, I know that sounds funny, 
being orange. What does orange have to do with this? Well, let me explain. Orange is a color that you can't get in and of itself. It takes two colors. You need yellow and you need red to come together to make orange. It's only when you combine them that you can get that color. So to be an effective orange church, the light of the church, which represents yellow, and the love of the family, which represents uh, red, must come together. And when they do, they make orange. This is an effective way that we can bring the wood so that God can send down his fire of life change. So, with that said, over the next three years, over the next three years, we want to enhance our efforts like never before to, to impact our, our, our church and our homes in order to equip the next generation. Let, let me share what we're going to do. Let's start with yellow, which is the church. Because the church has an impact here. We have, get this, I had to check it, but it, it's true. We have about 40 hours a year as a church with students, give or take. 40 hours. That's not that many hours. And so every hour we have with these students needs to be used wisely. We, we can't waste it. That is why our early childhood kids are, are, are learning about Jesus in ways that they will understand. Everything that happens in our early childhood rooms are with a purpose. From the stories shared, to the coloring pages given, to the crafts given, even the snacks we give are often used as tools to reach our young people and little ones to tell them about Jesus Christ in a way that makes sense to them that they can grasp a hold of. And then they go from early childhood to kindergarten to fifth grade. And it's in our kindergarten through fifth grade that they meet every single week with leaders that value them. They open God's word together and they talk about real life things that are going on in their young lives. That we have leaders that listen to them, that, that, that share with them, that call them, that send cards to them in the mail, that, that encourage them the best that they can so that our kids can see the love of Christ through them. And then they go from kindergarten through fifth grade into middle school. And our middle school ministry meets every single weekend during our service times. And they invest in students' lives during the most critical period of their life. Do you remember middle school? Remember how hard it was? And it's only gotten harder. They, they need these people in their lives. Our leaders are there to answer questions, tough questions. They're, they're there to, to help uh, make the Bible real and relevant for their lives. They, they don't shy away from talking about tough subjects. They don't shy away from talking about uncomfortable subjects. They tackle it head on. They, they help them to navigate through these situations in their lives that you and I can't even imagine our middle schoolers are going through right now. It would blow your mind. And they're helping them to do this. And then they go into high school. And our high school ministry has a once-a-month um, gathering called The Last Sunday. 
And, and, and obviously you can guess that it called that because they meet on the last Sunday of every month. So this month is January 31st. They meet at our Sandusky campus. It's all three campuses combined into one. They have a time of, of worship. They have a time of food. They have a time of fun. They have a message that's relevant to their lives where they spend time together. In fact, Joe wanted me to let you know that they have a, an artist coming uh, this next week called Intellect that, to Perform, and he wants all the high schoolers to wear all black because they're playing a giant game of hide-and-go-seek in the Sandusky Campus Church. So um, uh, make sure, if you have kids in this, that they're all dressed in black. Um, I love that they can do this. I love that they have a place where they can come and be safe. That's why we're committing over the next three years to building high school small groups to meet in, in homes. We're going to be asking many of you if you would be willing to open your home to a high school small group to meet so that they have a safe place to continue taking next steps with the Lord. And then, and then last week we shared with you how, how we have young adult groups kicking off. Those are the 18 to 29 year olds that they have a community to belong in a safe place to be with one another where they can take next steps as well. I'm telling you all this to say over the next three years, you're going to continue to see our staff and our volunteers doing whatever it takes to be a welcoming and relevant church where our next generation can take their next steps in following Jesus Christ as their Lord. They're committed to that. And we will work hard to do that. But it isn't just yellow. It isn't just a church that makes orange. It's the family, the red, that's added in. I told you that, that we only have 40 hours a week, or I mean a year, with your, with your students. 40 hours, that's it. The family has 3,000 hours a year, approximately, to influence your kids. 3,000 hours. You know what that means? That means you, as families, have a far greater responsibility, a far greater opportunity to reach our kids for Jesus than we do here at church. It's not enough to just bring your kids and say, well, the church will take care of them for me. Oh, we only got 40 hours. You have way more. We need you to help with this. That means that you have to be serious about your relationship with Jesus too. That means that you have to be following Jesus so closely that your kids have you to look to for help and guidance. That's exactly why the Apostle Paul, he was walking so close to Jesus that he actually said these words to his people. He said, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. He's saying, I am so close to the Lord that, that you, you should be able to look at my life as a reflection of what it looks like to be Christ-like. Our kids need this from us. When they are struggling, they should be able to look to us to see how we handle struggles and stay faithful. 
When, when our kids are learning about money, they should be able to look to us to see how to manage money God's way and how to be generous. When they're choosing friends, they're going to look at how we choose friends. They're going to learn about love and patience and kindness and forgiveness. And the best shot they have of learning about those things is from us. We have to teach them what that looks like. Let them see you practice humility. Let them see you celebrating other people. Let them see you serving your husband and your wife beyond anything they can imagine. Let them hear you talk openly about the good news of Jesus Christ and how it has changed your life. Don't hold it back. Tell them what it has done for you and what it can do for them. Share it openly. This is, this is critical. So, over the next three years, we want to come alongside you in this. We're not going to leave you hanging. We know it's hard. And so, we want to help you use your 3,000 hours in, in a wise way that you have so that you can build an altar that will allow God to, to bring the fire of life change to burn brightly in your home. So, here's what we want to do for you over the next three years. We are committed to helping you continue to give you practical tools to help you have conversations with your kids about Jesus beyond just Sunday morning. We want to help you have conversations with your kids all week long about this. We are committed to offering you brand new classes, parenting classes, that will help you know how to help your kids to follow Jesus. We want to and are committed to offering you practical ways to help strengthen your marriages and your relationships so that you can be the best imitators of Jesus Christ you possibly can so your kids can have an example to look to and follow. We're committed to this and so much more over the next three years. This is a big job. It's, it's not easy. It's going to take all of us working together to accomplish this vision so that we can grow deeper in impacting the next generation. If you don't think or you're not convinced that this is important, let me share one final statistic with you, a statistic that, that stops me in my tracks. 94% of Christ followers make the decision to follow Jesus before the age of 18. 94%. Our kids are worth it. They're important. We can't miss these opportunities. That is why we have to work so hard to continue to reach this generation. I don't want them to fall. So I know I gave you a lot today. This is a lot of information, a lot of vision for the future, a lot of stuff. And maybe it's hard to kind of even imagine what it might look like in real life for Orange to play out. What it looks like for a, a family and a church to work together. It was, this, this can get complicated. And so let me give you an example of, of what this looks like. I'm going to invite Danielle. She's a mom here in our church, of a, one of our fourth grade girls. And um, uh, she shared something with me just a week or two ago here that 
I knew we were going to be sharing this message, and I thought, oh my goodness, she has to tell this to you. Because, because this is what it looks like to be orange. This is what it looks like when yellow and red come together. And so, Danielle, would, would you mind just sharing with them what you wrote to me? Hello. Several years ago, I went through a tough divorce. It was a time that caused me to question God's love and purpose in my life. My oldest daughter, Savannah, also started to have some questions about God. Over time, and losing some important people in our life, she continued to have more questions and more doubts. She had been praying and praying, but felt like God was not answering any of her prayers. Recently, after Savannah's great-grandma passed away, a lot more questions started to come up, and she was telling me that she was worried that when she got older, she was afraid she might not believe in God if he kept not answering her prayers. Just a few weeks ago, there was a weekend service here at the chapel where the kids didn't have kids' ministry going on. So Savannah was sitting with me in the adult worship service, which I'm sure she didn't mind since Charles was preaching. And don't tell Charles, but he is one of her favorites. Wait, can we just stop right there for a moment? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go on. <laughs> and no, he did not bribe me to say that. During the message that Charles was sharing, Savannah was tuned right in as he was going over quite a few things that we had talked about just the night before. I turned to her in the middle of service and quietly said, it's almost like Charles was knew exactly what we were talking about last night, and he's talking right to us. It was a God moment for sure. I continued to pray that God would be with her and help her work through her questions and doubts. Monday night, the next night, Savannah was asking more questions about her worries. And if you know Savannah, her brain does not ever stop. <laughs> so I said, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, even when you have doubts, he will never leave you. She didn't know if she had really asked him into her life and had never prayed with anyone before to do so. So I asked her if she wanted me to pray with her, and she said yes. I first began praying, asking that God would help Savannah and give her guidance and put people in her life along the way that would help her even when she has doubts. Remembering as a child that I was taught the ABCs of asking Jesus to be your Savior, I then shared them with her. A, admit that you are a sinner and need God's forgiveness. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross and was raised to life to offer us forgiveness. C, confess Jesus as your Savior. She was super emotional as I was praying with her and during her prayer to ask Jesus to come into her heart. For me as a mom, it was one of the most amazing mom moments I've ever experienced, being able to lead my daughter in prayer to ask Christ into her life. For Savannah, she was overwhelmed with Jesus' love for her and showed a sense of peace. With so much excitement, I texted Pastor Charles to share my joy with him. Savannah also wanted to share with Mr. Todd, who's one of her leaders in the preteen ministry. The following Sunday, she was too afraid to on her own, so I went up with her to share her amazing news with her leader. Isn't that worth celebrating? <laughs> Good job, Mom. <laughs> I mean, that is orange. That is the church and the family working together. You know, what if, what if Savannah wasn't in church with Danielle that Sunday? What if Savannah had questions about God and Danielle, as a mom, didn't 
didn't know how to answer those questions. What if, what if someone who would have never shared with Danielle those ABCs, and she didn't know then how to help her kid when it was her time to take that next step in her faith? What if our role here as a church and as families is big, but God's role is so much bigger I'm convinced God will, will send the fire to impact the next generation. I guess I'm just wondering, will we do whatever it takes to build an altar for him to do so? I hope we do. I pray we do, because it's so worth it. And we're going to work hard these next three years to do so. And we get to do it together. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you have done in this young girl's life. We celebrate that today. Lord, I'm excited to see what you do in her life over these next years. And Lord, I know that sometimes following you can be challenging and can be hard. And, and I pray that you would help us as a church to know how to come alongside her and care for her and support her in these next years ahead. Help Danielle as a mom to continue to know how to support her daughter. And thank you for even using Danielle in this, for using her to help her daughter. Lord, for this vision that we have, these next three years, it is big, feels a little overwhelming, but Lord, to build, to dig these roots down deeper, it is, it is crucial. So I say that to say we lean into you, we trust you, we will look to you for direction and encouragement. Lord, help us. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, have a great day. We have some greeters who will dismiss you, and we'll talk soon.